Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Commercial Property Investor Podcast, where it's my job to introduce you to people from the world of commercial property. We're talking with investors and thought leaders about their experiences of the commercial property world and sharing our own lessons from the last 20 years to give you practical know-how so that you can follow in their footsteps. If you've ever thought commercial could be your next step, but it just seems too confusing and opaque, then you've come to the right place. There are so many exciting opportunities in this dynamic sector, and I'm looking forward to pulling back the curtain and sharing them with you. Welcome back to the Commercial Property Investor Podcast, and I'm your host, Jerry Alexander. This show is all about helping you into the world of commercial property. It can be a thoroughly rewarding place, but sometimes it can teach you a lot of lessons. We've been investing in commercial property for over 15 years, and I want to help you by sharing some of the things this industry has taught us, and of course the lessons learned by our great guests. Personally, one of the super benefits of creating this podcast is I've been so lucky to be able to interview some really interesting and successful investors, and today is no exception. Chris van der Kyle and his lifelong friend Paddy Burns are very well known in gaming circles for their business 4J Studios, which is based in Dundee, and for the work that they've done over many years bringing the Minecraft franchise to millions of people. They ventured into other businesses and opportunities, including commercial property, and Chris explains why it was such a natural step for them. He also shares some great insights into how and why they developed a 19th century warehouse on the waterfront in Dundee into a state-of-the-art multi-let workspace. And although, as Chris admits in the interview, that finance for this project wasn't such an issue for them, there were still plenty of obstacles to overcome. We have also invested into a building on the waterfront in Dundee, so we take a bit of time to talk about why we feel Dundee is such a great place to invest and what their plans are for the next project. There are, of course, not just tips for investing in commercial property here, but also a good dose of business success nuggets that I'm sure you will also enjoy. So let's listen to the interview with Chris van der Kyle as he shares his experiences of commercial property so far. Thanks so much for joining us, Chris, today. It's an absolute pleasure um, to get a chance to talk to you about both the commercial, but also your other business interests. And our audience are... Private investors generally who are looking at getting started in commercial, they generally have residential investments or some other business interests, and they're looking to um, build, I guess, their um, long-term asset base by investing in commercial stuff. And you've been doing such an interesting project. We've both been working on stuff in Dundee, so I'm, I'm really looking forward to this conversation. But first of all, could you maybe give us a quick introduction, Chris, to where you are right now, because your life is always so busy. If anyone follows you on social media, it's like you're doing a million things. So we all want to know the secret to that. But just where, where are you at right now? What's the sort of main projects you're working on? Um, you know, I, as usual, Jerry, uh, we're, we, we've got a fairly broad uh, sphere of interests, uh, you know, with a, with a Chroma hat on. Uh, you know, Chroma Ventures being... Our investment arm, uh, you know, th- you know, for for Paddy and I and uh, and and Four J Studios, really, uh, we we took a decision a long time ago to start to spread our wings a bit and not just be in video games. Um, but at the same time, we still love video games. It's still our principal area of of interest. Um, so we're investing a lot of time in in Four J and also 
uh, puny astronaut and storm cloud, two businesses that we've invested in over the past few years, um, and really starting to think about what, what we do next uh, with those businesses in terms of new games coming out um, and things, etc. And and that's I'd, I'd almost refer to that as that's the knitting. That's what you'd expect us to do. Um, beyond that, it's it's you've know, got I suppose very diverse very quickly. Um, but there's a thread through everything we do. I, you know, the number one thing is people and culture. You know, we love investing in teams uh, where we think the people are a bit different. They bring something new to the market that they're uh, they, they're trying to operate in, um, and we hope that we can sort of add a bit of value to them. You know, in in terms of reflecting our entrepreneurial journey um, and helping them probably not make all the same mistakes uh, that that we did. Um, and in the middle of all of that, uh, as as you kind of previously mentioned, you know, through Chroma Developments, we took our first uh, baby steps into commercial property development uh, with our Water's Edge development in Dundee. Um, and that certainly has been brilliant. And we'll talk about that more, I'm sure. But that certainly whetted our appetite to to do more um, in the area of, of, of property development, commercial development especially. Brilliant. We'll get. We will definitely get into that. It's it's um it's a beautiful project, and for some, it definitely wouldn't be a baby step, Chris, because <laughs> it's a large. Can you remember what the overall square footage is? Um, it's it's about it's about thirty thousand square feet, I think. Um, yeah. I, in in the in the whole building, um, but we, I, in terms of in terms of letable, but but we, um, you you're right, you know. In the, it, it's not really a baby step. I, I didn't mean to be facetious in, in in saying that, but it was the way the way we found ourselves in it. I suppose is is quite interesting in the, in that we were sitting along City Quay in Dundee, not far from where we are now in Water's Edge, and just thinking, yeah, we've we've sort of outgrown this building and the building that we were in um, in terms of it being fit for purpose and being the right headquarters for 4G. And when we went out and looked at the market to see where we could move to. There was just nothing that really suited the criteria that we wanted, so we went out to try and acquire some place to develop ourselves. And I don't think we wanted anything bigger than maybe we'd have stretched about four or five thousand square feet tops. Yeah. Um, and when we went out to look for something to do, again, there was nothing in that kind of area to 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 buy either. Um, so we we spoke to a few of our friends and and our, our, our old friend. Um, Tim, uh, Tim from from Unicorn, um, Tim Allen, uh, said, "No, I've not got anything that size, Chris. But I've got, you know, I've got the shed left uh, along along the waterfront. We've got plans and permission to do something with it. It's a lot bigger, but maybe why, why don't you have a look at it?" And when when we did, I think what we saw that day was a vision where we could see a great home for 4G, but we realised it was far far too big, and the gamble we took that day was. We think we can create something multi-occupancy, but a bit different. And it would be the building we would bite our right arm off to be in. So if we'd bite our right arm off to be in it, surely other people would. And, and it was sort of from that naive assertion that we took the plunge and, and, and went for it. Okay, so getting into this wasn't really, I, when I say this, I mean, in terms of actually becoming a landlord, it was really first and foremost to find a home for you guys. It was definitely that case. You know, we 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 were looking for a home for ourselves with nothing else. And when I say nothing else, it, the, we we've got quite interesting criteria that we we didn't believe were unique, but the market didn't really recognise. Which is, we wanted a, a development with 
let's call it character. It doesn't have to be an old building, but 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 not just a straight steel box, box. That, that you know that you find on every uh, you know on on every uh, property investors wish list. It would seem, um, or certainly uh, institutional property investors yeah. wish list. Um, and the Dundee market had told the property investment world and all the clients that it didn't need a good M and E, for example, and or, or top grade M and E. That was something which only companies in Edinburgh and and beyond would would pay for. Said the market, I, and we said, well, that's entirely wrong. We want a building that doesn't look like those buildings in St Andrew's Square, probably in Edinburgh, but actually has all the amenity and facility that they have. Because the one thing that drives us around the twist is poor cooling and heating. I, you know, over a three hundred and sixty-five day uh, cycle, you know, we'll we'll fill a unit packed with a computer kit in our case, um, and we might be needing to cool in the depths of winter. Uh, but similarly, if you're going to do real multi-occupancy, you want a building that can cope with that in one unit, and the unit next door uh, being two people and a laptop, um, and needing to to heat at the same time. Um, and when we asked the M&E engineers what did that mean, you know, they, they dropped a very, very hefty uh, bill on, on our desk uh, or, or quotation on our desk. And I can see why probably most third-party developers at that point say, well, it doesn't really matter. That's not going to make a decision. We, we actually did the opposite. We sort of said, no, this is the wish list that we, that we must have, and we're not going to compromise that. And we'll back calculate what that means we need to charge and rent from there on. And if that means, quite frankly, that we end up being the only tenant in a building, then we'll take that risk. And we're very lucky we could afford to take that risk. But we didn't think it was too high a risk because we were not looking at the per square meter or per square foot charge. We were looking at the unit cost um, and the unit cost on a, let's say, a monthly basis versus the affordability for the types of businesses we we are and the types of businesses we thought could be there. And we quickly concluded, as it turned out, that, that the market was completely wrong in Dundee and that we could charge probably the highest per square meter rate uh, for commercial property in Dundee and fill a building. So that was the that was the gamble we took. Yeah, you 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 really went all out for that the conditioning of the building and basically you've taken this really um architecturally beautiful building it's uh it it was a shed or it was part of a row of um facilities there for for the docks and for because obviously the city was preeminent for um its docks and everything and all the all the activity was going on there a century or so ago and the building was quite dilapidated i remember looking around it with tim as well and you just felt it had loads of character there to bring out, but to try and put all the modern kit you're talking about into this building was quite a challenge. And your architects and, and you guys have come up with a unique um, scenario there of bringing the outside, haven't you? I don't know if you could maybe explain to people how that actually sure, happened, sure. but it was a really interesting development. Our architect Rick Russell from Nickel Russell Studios, you know, and he's he's pretty well known for thinking out, literally out of the box and and. He he talked to us about um, the uh, you know a few, a few projects he'd worked on, um, not least of which uh, you know the old the old fish market in Glasgow um, that they'd done a very similar idea. They'd kind of used it as a shell and then built units. In that case, it was it was uh, sort of um, art, more sort of artist studios, 
you know, a, low, a lower end product than we were trying to put together, but the concept was the same. And, you know, then again, inspired by people like, uh, you know, Richard Rogers and others, I, he sort of said, well, if we're going to fill this, rather than try and hide it in the in the 19th century roof space, why don't we just build a tower outside the building and put all the, uh, you know, all the 21st century facilities on show, you know, and, and, and build it in as a feature uh, to the building, which, which Paddy and I, uh, you know, loved the idea of doing that. Uh, you know the the building quite proudly wears, uh, you know its its heritage on its sleeve, but also its modern heritage. Yeah. Uh, you know, rather than trying to do that sort of faux uh, thing of you know of of hiding it um, and pretending that it's a it's the original nineteenth century building, um, and you know it was a it was a transit shed. You know, so purposely had incredibly drafty two sides to it, where goods came in to one side and then exited the other, either to or from the water. Um, so it was never really meant to be a wind and water tight, heated and cooled uh, office environment. Um, you know, so we we've effectively kept exoskeleton. You know, we put a brand new roof on it because we had to. You know, but with slate and traditional methods and lots of lead. Um, but but and, and internally, the the big listed feature is the sort of nineteenth century cast steel uh, steelwork and trussing. You know, it's got huge open spans in 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 the building. Um, but then everything else. Uh, is is effectively housed inside that building, so we created also a public street down the middle of it, and then all the units, uh, all the units come off uh, off that street, which in and of itself kind of creates a community without that sort of false thing of saying we're creating a brand and we're going to make people have coffee on a Friday afternoon and do that. We just we just said, look, here's a street. You know, it's a it's a, a very northern European climate friendly street, as in it's got a. Doors on the end and a roof and, and no real uh, no real drafts, but it's unheated space. The whole centre street, um, and from this street, you know, you'll enter and exit your offices. You'll enter and exit the sort of seven meeting rooms we've got and the shared, uh, you know, facilities. And really, from there, it does feel that way. You know, so it feels like a sort of twenty first century uh, community that you would have found, you know, a hundred years ago in a high street in a city or. Um, or otherwise, where quite like-minded businesses just happen to find themselves next door to each other, not because someone uh, decided that's the only people they would let in the building. Yeah, and and how many units did you end up creating, Chris? Um, so we, we it changes because you know as as per usual with um, with these uh, types of projects, we've we've already extended and expanded a bit, and we've we've got a little bit left to to do. But at the moment, we've got. Uh, down one side, four uh, sort of large-scale units uh, for, uh, you know, and, and it's quite interesting because I'll, I'll come back to this uh, and talk about the density and how we design. Uh, and obviously, you know, the current COVID uh, challenges put a different light on that. But in a pre-COVID world, uh, we had these four big units that were really designed to house between, you know, let's say 25, 30 people up to 50 people. Um, and then the smaller units down the other side, uh, which are designed to ha- to house, let's say, up to 20 people, but f- still feel like reasonable places to inhabit if there's only a small handful of you. Um, and we've we've expanded some of those since we've uh, we've started just through due, due to demand. But we're talking about you know what would traditionally a tiny unit, an 85 square meter unit, um, and that lays out for about 20 people. Now. How we're able to do that is by taking all the effectively circulation spaces and and, and non-lettable areas and making those communal. 
So your access street is shared between all of you. Your bathroom units are shared between all of you. The meeting rooms really, although some people choose to have them within their units, uh, you you buy you buy them by the hour when when you need them. So what that means is that that eighty five square meter unit really has no uh, dead space other than maybe a bit of a galley kitchen and one stairwell to a me to a mezzanine, um, and that that then lays out really comfortably actually for the kind of numbers we're we're, we're talking. About. Um, we've got now eight units, uh, eight of the smaller units and four of the of the bigger units, um, and then we've got an, an extension area that uh, again pre-COVID we were ready to go on an, on an event space because we think that works really well with the the businesses that we've got, um, but we've we've temporarily put that on hold um, until the market recovers a little bit, uh, and we've temporarily let it to one of our clients as a um, you know as a sort of a warehousing space. Uh, for for the moment, so it's uh, it's used, and and the good news coming to you on on this podcast is that um, you know as of as of today uh, the the building is effectively fully let, although one unit is just going to become available one of the smaller units over the course of this year. But knowing the waiting list that we've had on it, that'll turn over pretty quickly. Uh, but the bigger units have taken a bit longer to go, and that's we're delighted that the although we've not announced it yet, but the final big unit has has now gone. That's brilliant. And and of course, you know, size depends on the type of market you're in, doesn't it? But those units you're talking about are not too different to some of the unit sizes that have been available in Dundee for a while. But it's it's op offering a different product that you're talking about. And interestingly, if you part of the challenge, of course, and, and, I, and I know Stuart does some of your um, work for you on that, is when you're talking to potential customers and they're trying to compare you on a square foot rate, it's as you say. You know, well, actually, our rate is this. However, <laughs> you're not needing 2,000 square feet. You need 1,500 square feet or whatever it is because of the efficiencies yeah. you're talking about. And sometimes getting that value add across can be challenging. They've got to come and yeah, look at it. For, That's the main thing. For, for, for sure. And and I think not only look at it, uh, Jerry, I think I think they probably have to to talk to people who've lived it to, to believe. Because, you know, again, a lot of the professional consultants that they'll bring in will tell them that it's wrong. You know, this just isn't possible. Um, and then they'll talk to some of the existing tenants and and hear their stories and and hear them pretty much uni uh, you know unanimously reflect its you know comments like it's the best space I've ever worked in and here's here's why. Um, and especially on some of the smaller businesses, you know, when when they take their keys from us, they literally have to worry about running their business. You know, they don't need to do the, a scintilla of facilities management, you, you know, from the, you know, from obviously the, the obvious things like cleaning and maintenance um, is 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 held centrally, but even things like walking into a building and saying, right, I need a hundred megabits of uh, of synchronous internet. I oh well, I'll have to I'll have to go and negotiate with four suppliers and yeah. get waylaves in place and all the hell. And when we turn around and say, well, what do you want it today or tomorrow? And oh, by the way, if the hundred's not enough or that you find that's too much, just phone us up and we'll change, you know, change it up to you know anything up to 10 gigabits. And uh, you can have that on a temporary basis if you need it. And the incredulity that you see, even on, you know, we've had large corporates in the building, uh, like you know, Scottish Power, for example, were a tenant for a while. Um, and their corporate IT immediately came and said, No, 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 that's not how corporate IT is done here. We'll need to bring our own in. We need so our own. You can't come, you, yeah, you can't come into the building then. And so, what do you mean? They said, "Well, it's been provisioned this way, and here's how we supply it." And they said, "What about security?" And we said, "Well, he, let us tell you how we do security." And within one phone call, they kind of went, "Oh, 
this is brilliant. This actually saves us a lot of hassle as well, and is one less overhead that we need to put onto our, uh, you know, onto our manifest. Um, and that might sound, yeah, of course, everybody does that. Actually, almost nobody does that. You know, even yeah. those that say they do supply central internet uh, for buildings, very few that we've come across do it in the way that we that we do it. You know, we, for example, can provision if a broadcaster decided to move in tomorrow and do live 4K broadcasting, uh, we can give them provisioning, uh, you know, for, for that by the time they, they walk through the door. Um, and and that, again, is something that any developer we've talked about kind of lay that off and go, well, that's nothing to do with us. And in our view, that's everything to do with us because no one that's trying to operate a 21st century business can rely on anything other than, you know, really high quality delivery of uh, of that. And by the way, it goes wrong. You know, things don't quite work and, and you need to have the right level of service around that to be prepared for that. Um, you know, so we brought a partner in really early um, who rather than it be let's tender it out to the to the big guys, we look for a local supplier who we could help them build their own business service and they could help us build great service internally. And that, and it's that idea that you know you take the keys to one of our offices and all you should be worrying about is delivering your own business. You shouldn't be worrying about anything beyond that, whether it be you know as simple as a loose kept clean and provisioned, uh, you know to I need faster internet and I need it tomorrow. Um, you know that's something that we believe should be uh, the the building operator's responsibility in the twenty first century. Yeah, it, it, it's it, that whole marketplace is definitely growing. Most of the corporate commercial stuff, of course, is leased, and as you said before, you know it's about um, the investment houses buying property or building them and then letting them out to clients on very long leases if they can get them. But that differentiator there is starting to blend a little bit more and some of these guys are starting to develop out some of their own um, flexible offerings but you know it's going to take them a long time to catch up one of the interesting things you're talking about there is listening or hearing what the local market is telling you and hearing what the local agents are telling you and sometimes those things are quite different and having the um, gumption to make the make the step change and provide something different. And when I was looking at Dundee, because I've come from the outside coming into Dundee, and, and, and I wanted to talk to you about Dundee. So I spent quite a long time studying the market and looking for a building. In fact, it was about three or four years. I wasn't looking every day, but I was coming in fairly regularly, viewing properties and everything else, and, and thankfully managed to find one not too far away from you, which we've nearly finished as well. Um, and I remember the agents telling me, you know, there's about – you'll probably get, we're starting to get about 12 pounds a square foot in Dundee now. <laughs> and um, obviously um, we've both proven that that's, you know, a very small amount, but you know, obviously there's extra charges of costs in what we do, but nevertheless, you can definitely provide a product there that's quite different that the market is asking for. And it's funny how Dundee, I found myself was a little bit behind in terms, not just in terms of the provision, but just how it, thought about the market and that meant that i think some companies maybe weren't moving to dundee that could have done 100 percent um and, and yeah. now things are changed i mean a lot of our tenants that moved into our building these smaller units but a lot of them are from outside the city coming in so what's interesting about your business particularly going back to your to 4j is you guys have stayed in dundee and you've wanted to stay in dundee and you know You've been going for a long time. 
And during some of those times, others have come to Dundee and they've left and they've gone to Edinburgh and other locations. You guys said, no, no, we're staying here. You've seen something in Dundee. I think that's really starting to prove itself now. But what, what do you feel about investing um, in Dundee and keeping your businesses in Dundee? Is there, um, is there something you can tell the listeners or other developers maybe that are looking at Dundee and think, actually, maybe we should be paying attention to this market? What's exciting you most about Dundee right now? Yeah, I mean, look, you know, we we clearly have done an unbelievable job in Dundee of of attracting some fantastic marquee projects. The V&A being the uh, the current jewel in the crown. But uh, as as announced recently, uh, you know, we've got the Eden project lined up to sort of bookend the town. I mean, the Eden project is going to be our neighbour um, in Water's Edge, and you know that will be coming. And when that comes, you know, you've got a You've got a central waterfront that really starts at the discovery uh, next to the V&A uh, and, you know, connects all the way through to where we are. Um, and that central waterfront area, I think, is incredibly special. Uh, so I, I encourage anybody to come in with big ambition uh, for Dundee. I mean, if there's a problem at the moment, it's still it's still a lack of ambition and, and confidence, even probably locally, of it, you know, maybe in terms of commercial property, things it'll it'll do, um, and I think you highlight a, a key point, and I hope we've gone some way to proving it's not the case that when you don't settle for the ordinary, because you know, pick a reason here, it's it's not Edinburgh and Glasgow, it's a bit peripheral, or could it really support it? Then it becomes a self fulfilling prophecy, uh, where companies who have got ambition and want to be someplace that reflects them well. Look at look at the the provision of things like office or infrastructure, and go. Well, actually, I'd rather be somewhere else where it's where it's better. Now that I'm going to be really successful, um, and that's something that we can't let happen, and we shouldn't let happen. Uh, you know, so we certainly have ambition to to go beyond Water's Edge into new developments that are you know raise the bar even higher uh, the, than we've done already. And you know, we we would welcome others to come in and do the same. I think at the moment there's a little bit too much reliance on we're not coming unless we've got a blue chip covenant from a large corporate or the government um, or whatever, and maybe we need to, you know, we need to tell the the council or, the, or or government they need to pitch in a little bit and help us get, make that happen. I think what I want to see developers who don't do that. You know, we we've as it stands, I would never say never. I you know had no support in that way um, to date. And it's not harmed the business, I, you know, at all. And in a funny kind of way, if you're over reliant on those uh, on the, on those kind of incentives, you you end up with the, the age old problem that we've seen in things like technology parks, where they're they're fine while they last, um, and then when when that layer of incentive goes away, you suddenly get uh, you know a bit of a white elephant thing going on. In saying that, I, I would want to point out, Jerry, and I think it's really important. Water's Edge would not be here today uh, were it not for BPRA. Uh, you know, so you know those those of I'm sure viewers to your podcast will know that BPRA was the the tax incentive scheme to bring yeah. back uh, you know commercial properties that had been disused for uh, I think it was over twelve months. Um, any improvements to those properties were were fully allowable against income tax. Um, unfortunately. Uh, the shyster world of of tax advisors, and not all tax advisors are shysters, I'd put that in, in there, but <laughs> the ones that are um, suddenly saw a scheme that they could exploit. And, and it's well publicized that the government ended up shutting down BPRA um, because of the many abuses uh, that were there. 
Water's Edge was, I think, the perfect example um, of, of a scheme that, that would not have happened without it, in that Paddy and I were able to take a real risk and effectively um, spend too much money um, on what would have been much cheaper to do as a new build, but on bringing an old wrecked building back to life. So, you know, re really the walls, although we needed to spend quite a lot of money on them and the, and the steel truss work were all that really, uh, you know, remained of the original building. Um, and once you finally compensate with BPRA, we've sort of done okay. It's still quite a very expensive build uh, and one we're really proud and happy of because I think it, you know, will have that kind of longevity. Um, and and it's a shame to see that there's there's nothing like that around anymore, um, because it's going to be very difficult to see how somebody could do what we've done again, um, and and try and make some money out of it. When did you start the project? Because can you remind me? It, you know, it we 17, were seventeen, something like that. I was going to say twenty seventeen, uh, Jerry. Yeah. I think that's. What I mean, we we've been open about three years now uh you know and so actually we must have started yeah. before that yeah. um we because we, we had the building in, in planning and you know in various things for, for at least a couple of years before we, um, yeah 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 and th and that's when the bpra stopped isn't it yeah around about that time um yeah but yeah, we, you know maybe just, somebody else we, will come in yeah, yeah I, I, and, and I, I think that's what i'd like to see is um you know that's the kind of place where public money can really uh, do well, you know, if it incentivizes people to to bring areas back to life, um, you know, that, that other otherwise wouldn't. Um, and you know, it's always tough. I don't, I don't, I, I don't envy anyone the task of designing schemes that are going to work. Um, but this one is certainly one that we would have worked if if sort of high net worth salaries hadn't been going in and borrowing against the projects before they were even off the ground. Um, yeah. You know, it was it was kind of built for what we did. Owner occupiers. Um, you know who who were going to bring these things back to life and and had no intent you know no intent of selling selling this thing on um, you know who and you know one never says never but but that wasn't why we did it we did it because it was a great place for us to operate out of um, and we thought we'd be a great place to try and build uh, value for others too. Fab right so you guys have learned quite a lot from this project though and um, and you're talking about future ones yeah so that's good. Yep. <laughs> um, what kind of what kind of lessons did that one teach you? What sort of things are you going to take on for the for the next project, or they're going to maybe temper the next project? Well, I, I think it taught us a lesson that we know absolutely nothing about commercial property <laughs> development. Um, you know, not that we thought we did going in. We it was good enough. We we knew we were quite naive. We probably didn't realise how naive we were, and indeed, um, as per usual with a lot of early stage entrepreneurial activities. If you knew, if you weren't naive, you probably never would have done it, and never yeah. would have got such a such a great result after it out of it. So there's a little bit of us questions as well. Don't be scared to be a bit naive and and do things differently and make mistakes because out of those mistakes uh, will ultimately come uh, your the visions there. You'll you'll potentially achieve something quite special. So so we're because of that we're we're eyes wide open as to what we what we do next. Um, you know there there are clearly things that we we have learned from this and believe in about the size of units the flexibility around it some gambles we took that are definitely right that we'd carry forward to to a new building um, i don't think you're going to see us in the short term do giant floor plates for single occupiers i you know i think we'll be looking at making the multiple occupancy thing even better but not trying to turn into we work you know we've got a bit of co-working uh that that operates well and is a good stepping stone for people 
Um, but but we we like the idea of having businesses that have their own identifiable space and that they're big enough to establish you know proper early stage businesses in, rather than it just feeling like you know it doesn't feel like my my office. It feels like I mean we you know we works my brand not. Saturn Fluid Dynamics, one of our, you know, they've got a great brand and it's the identities there and anybody walks in our building, you know, sees them as a standalone business. Um, so so that kind of concept we like. Um, we do like residential, but for us, it would make absolutely no sense to go toe-to-toe with, with anyone that's already a big established business in the residential space, because what can we do better than them at what they do? The answer is probably not a lot. So, so if we're going to do residential, again, we'll do it in a, in, you know, in a different way. We might combine it with commercial. Uh, we might come up with ideas that, that, that merge the two. We love the Dundee waterfront, you know, so we've got nothing live at the moment, but we'd love to think about doing something of scale that's very, very different because you know, if, if nobody else is going to come in from outside and do something, I think unique and special beyond uh, the public buildings that are there, then maybe a, maybe we need to show the way. So, so all these things will float around and we'll we'll look at, and and that's all. You know, that by the way doesn't need to be bounded to Dundee. Um, you know, we don't really have. We've never thought geographically about anything we do, other than if we go someplace and we like what they're doing, then then why not? Um, but we also recognise that local knowledge is is important too. So we wouldn't just run in and say, "Oh, Amsterdam's a cool city. Let's develop something there." You know, we need to have some belief that we've got some value add. You know, not because we 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 overthink our own, you know, our own importance or whatever. We we've got no uh, no ego that says Chroma coming to town or Paddy Night town means anything to anybody. You know, we think we're the the bottom rung of the ladder when it comes to property development. So we need to <laughs> prove our own worth. I think you bring a few unique talents there, Chris. <laughs> Do yourself a bit of disservice. Um, it's interesting, though, because your market and our markets, we both work with sort of SMEs um, and business that are trying to grow. But our our proposition is more around the two, three, sometimes we have larger customers, but two, three, four-person spaces. Whereas your positioning at the moment is for those larger um, spaces, but not with a corporate feel. It's quite an interesting um, section of the market, and it's not that well catered to, certainly not in Dundee, but there are other locations around that that middle bit, that middle ground is not catered to well. It's interesting you bring up WeWork because they are talked about a lot as a co-working business, but if they're not. What they really are is is a serviced office business doing a rent to rent model with some co working. It's just that the um, the density is really high, but ultimately they're they're doing um, a serviced office offering, but just under a different type of branding. But what you're talking about there is is tackling a certain niche in the market and really giving them exactly what they need. Um, but in in buildings that are really quite different. I mean, would you consider building new or do you like the grounding that historical buildings bring? Um, we we definitely consider building new. I mean, I mean, without BPRA, as I say, if we were going to bring the water's edge concept to life, we'd probably have to do a new build um, because it's simply way too expensive to do mm. uh, to do what we did uh, without any support funding, um, and. New build doesn't need to be, you know, doesn't need to be characterless. 
Uh, you know, I think that's the critical thing for us. I mean, good design uh, is right at the heart of all of it. Um, I mean, if we'd taken that building and done the cheapest thing, which would have been, I don't know, to drop the ceiling and build cellular units, it would have been dark, soulless, I, I would suggest, pretty awful place to be. And we, we just wouldn't want it to be in there ourselves. So we're never going to do that. Um, and opening up to the light, you know, creating the sort of indoor-outdoor feel that we've got through the street, uh, you know, and into it, it's what makes the building. It's what makes everybody, you know, there, there are people in the in the building who, who operate in rooms that don't actually have outside windows. Uh, you know, the meeting rooms, some of them, especially over COVID, we've, We've put them on lease to to certain uh, operations, and not one person that's been sort of working a full working day in one of those internal units ever kind of said to us on you know some of them extended, but some of them you know when they their temporary uh, home came to an end, it was I'd come back here in a minute. Not a yeah, it was fine, but I, was, I missed having daylight because they didn't. You know, there's daylight in the street. They, there's glimpses of the the environment around them everywhere they look. Um, and that's just incredibly clever design, and it's where it's where the architects earn their uh, their money, or it's in some ways worth putting up with uh, architects <laughs> that have got vision that drives everybody to distraction a bit. Not saying yeah. ours did, but uh, you know, if you did. Cool. And just going back to those lessons, what what is there anything else that you would highlight to somebody else that's maybe getting started? Just things that came out, maybe. Well, you, I don't know if you used the word naive, but but that, that stage when you don't have those um, blocks from previous baggage, you don't have the baggage from previous projects, and you're like, right, we're going at this afresh. Anything else you would suggest people getting started? Wow, Jerry, there's a there's a list as long as uh, as long as my arm. I mean, I mean, project management, I think, is is uh, the biggest one. Uh, you know, we now. For for all the stuff we're doing, even though it's it's at the moment nothing is as individually big as as Water's Edge is in progress right now. So even if it's fit out, even if it's this extension for our event space, and then feasibilities on new projects, we have an we have an external project manager who's who is working on massive projects around the country and others. He's just amazing. So we you know we will not do a project without him attached. I because we need somebody at the fulcrum of that that is at the top yeah. of their game. And it's not us. You know, we we think we know a bit about project management, how to do it, because we do it every day in lots of different fields. It's a different thing. Um, and having someone that's, a, you know, in that fulcrum position that's got real uh, up-to-date knowledge in terms of, you know, what is state of the art when it comes to certain contractual relationships and, you know, certain ways, ways of working, um, because we'll never know that because we're only working on individual bits in isolation. And it's, it's a total fool's game to believe you can save that money. I, you know, I, I think unless, unless you are that person yourself and you've been doing it all your life yeah. and you're amazing at it, um, I think you've got to have somebody in that position. And I don't think they necessarily look like somebody out of the, your local surveying company. Um, you know, it's, it's a specialist skill and should be as such. So that's probably the most important change we've made in terms of all, the, all of the projects we look at now. Um, and then and then beyond that, like we do in pretty much everything we ever get involved in, is don't be scared to ask stupid questions. You know, as, as a, you know, put yourself in the shoes of the occupier and say, okay, so is this going to work? When you, in an M&E spec, tell me this in a big, detailed, technical document, what does that actually mean on a daily basis? Will it do this? And will Because you suddenly say, 
to people, what does that mean I can have this temperature here and this temperature there? And they say, well, actually, I don't know because that's no, that was downstream from me. So, well, can you go and find out? And then when they come back and tell you, actually, it's not really going to work the way you thought it was going to work, you know, you, you suddenly get slightly bamboozled by a how on earth did anybody think that was okay in the first place? Um, and it's just a case of you'll never stop asking these questions and digging into it. And the more time you spend on that in the, in the you know, during the planning stages, uh, you know, the more time you'll not be disappointed and shouting at people um, yeah. when it's when it's finished. It's amazing, isn't it? You 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 bring in experts to do certain things, whether it's um, as you say, a specialist in a particular area of the build, or indeed um, perhaps even somebody's doing valuations and things. And when you start asking those questions, you start to realize actually maybe I do know more than I thought I did because these guys clearly haven't thought through what it's like for the customer. Yeah. <laughs> They're just thinking about this wonderful piece of kit or whatever it is, but sometimes they yeah. forget about the customer, don't they? For sure. For sure. Um, brilliant. Right. So if somebody was looking to invest in Dundee, is there anywhere you think they should be talking to in the city? Because I know you've got lots of um, connections in the city, Chris, lots of people you you work yep. with to support the city development. Is there a sort of certain areas they should be looking to or talking to? Yeah, I think Dundee's very well set up. I mean, you know, one of the legacies of um, the team that delivered uh, the, the waterfront infrastructure um, and the V&A uh, led by Mike Galloway is that Dundee uh, is quite unusual in combining in the in the sort of role of head of head of uh, city development or economic development um, that classic economic development role, but also the sort of planning side, which traditionally people uh, you know people thought should always be in different silos because they, they there could be conflict of interest. Um, actually, if it's managed well. It, they should absolutely not be in different silos because their interests are super aligned. Um, and we've got that. I mean, the guy um, that's in that seat now is a guy called Robin Presswood. Um, and certainly I'd, I'd recommend that anyone uh, thinking about investing in Dundee uh, puts Robin probably the first call uh, that they that they make um, because, you know, the, the city does have a vision and that vision Goes right up to the leadership, the elected leadership of the council, as well as the, um, you know, as, as the unelected officers, um, and it means that things, in in our view, happen much more quickly and much more flexibly in Dundee than 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 almost any other market you'd see, um, albeit with the right firm hand of regulation and process uh, that that one would expect. Um, so so I'd go I'd go straight there to to be honest, um, and from there it's then a case of. If you really want to get involved in Dundee and make things happen, then spend time here. You know, don't just try and fly in and uh, and wave your magic wand and say I'm go I'm going to create an amazing building without knowing anything about the city. You know, I think you need somebody to come in and base somebody here. You know, send somebody up early to to meet the the you know the uh, the, the multifaceted community that's here um, yeah. and develop your ideas from there rather than try and bring somebody else's idea to the city. We've both got spaces they could rent for that, Chris. It's, I mean, it's interesting because obviously I came into the city from outside and um, I found it really, really helpful from, as you say, from the very top, the council um, down, everybody seems to be on their same page. It's really, really encouraging. Um, Robin came from Fife, didn't he? He was working Fife. I've worked with him um, over there as well. He's always yeah. been very encouraging, a great individual. So it's a great acquisition for the city. I, I have one more question for you, Chris, which is slightly off from commercial, but I need to ask you, 
um, I said it at the start, you have so many different things you're involved in. And it would just be interesting to know what are some of the tips you can give to people who think they can't fit another project in? Because <laughs> some of the things you're involved in all seem like full-time jobs, and there's many of them. How do you manage it all? Because it's it's the obvious thing, Jerry. It's it's team. You know, it's it's you can you can do effectively an unlimited number of things as long as you've got an unlimited supply of great talent. Um, you know, so so my job in most things is to you know get involved early on, set the vision. I you know get all our interests aligned in the right way, and then find the right people to go and deliver what whatever it is we want to try and do. Um, and you know the only way you get time back is things drop off. I and the way things are going for us at the moment, you know, lots going well, and nothing looks like it's going to uh, you know be stopping anytime soon. I you know so it's a constant battle uh, to try and bring in fresh talent along the way and keep building that team. Um, and at that point. Yeah, the biggest learning for anybody in, in any sort of entrepreneurial venture is really being as self-reflective as you can to understand what it is you're good at. Um, and then cope, keep those balls juggling when you have to, you know, keep keep them in the air. Uh, but as soon as possible, throw the balls that you're not very good at juggling to someone else um, that is and, and crack on with something new. I, you know, I mean, as, as many people around me will tell you, you know, I'm, I'm dangerous if I'm doing the same job for, any length of time, probably more like three, three or six months. Um, so you get me maximum enthusiasm and energy uh, to move around the previous projects we've got. Um, and then the the more diligent and smarter the uh, folks and I come along behind me and just make sure the stuff gets done. So it's it's not very complicated. That's that's the formula. Yeah, they tidy up and ask you to get out of the way. Exactly. <laughs> and I try not Chris. to make too much of a mess in the first place that's for yeah. sure <laughs> Chris it's been an absolute pleasure thank you so much for joining us really appreciate it is there anywhere anybody can follow you um, on social media or anything yeah I'm, I'm reasonably sporadic but at, at Chris VDK on uh, on Twitter is probably best or, or LinkedIn I'll I'll generally accept all LinkedIn requests uh, from from non-crazies uh, that come my way <laughs> uh, that's probably the two best things I'll appear on other bits of social media, but you probably don't want to follow those. They would be the two I'd go for. Brilliant. Chris, thank you so much for joining us. It's been an absolute pleasure. Really appreciate it. Thank you. My pleasure, Jerry. Thanks again. I hope you found that interesting. I certainly loved that interview. I've known Chris for a number of years, and he's always generous with his time, giving support to those that want to grow their businesses, whatever sector they're in. So thanks again, Chris, for joining us and sharing some of your insights. For those of you that enjoyed the episode, it's just one of the many interviews that we carry out on the Commercial Property Investor Podcast, so why don't you subscribe right now so future episodes will drop straight into your podcast app. This is actually our 80th episode, so there is a pretty big back catalogue there now with content for those of you that are really interested in getting into commercial property. It can bring some great hands-off passive income and the opportunity to grow your equity. There's a lot of disruption right now, which can, of course, lead to opportunity. If you enjoy the episode, please feel free to share or indeed leave us a review. We love reviews. It helps lift the podcast and show it to more potential listeners on all the podcast platforms. If you want to find out any more about what we do, jump into the show notes. You'll pick up a link to our website, commercialpropertyinvestor.co.uk, where there's lots of free content and information on some of the services that we offer for those that are serious about getting into commercial property. We also have a private Facebook group where you can meet others 
if you are just getting started and those with more experience, the link is also in the notes. So thanks for joining us on this week's episode of the Commercial Property Investor Podcast. My name's Jerry Alexander and it's been a real pleasure. Have a fantastic week in commercial. Thank you.